I've never been to Cyprus, but I... Oh, you should go. Yeah. It's a great place. Okay, are we... You can ask me that on the record. Yeah, I can ask you on the record if, <laughs> if you grew up in Venezuela. Okay, Jason Silva, welcome to Wise Words. Thank you very much. Happy to be here with you. Uh, Jason, let's, uh, let's start by having you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do. Absolutely. Well, my name is Jason Silva. I uh, was born in Caracas, Venezuela, back when it was a prosperous country. Um, and I grew up there and lived there till I was 18. I studied at an international school. And from there, I moved to the United States. Uh, I went to University of Miami, where I double majored in philosophy and film. Fascinating. And uh, I know that sounds like an unorthodox combination, but I was lucky. My mom is a teacher. She teaches literature, and she's an artist and a poet. And she encouraged me to study what I love. And she always encouraged me to use my passion as my compass, my passion as my orientation. And uh, I never really knew exactly how things would play out. But to paraphrase the words of uh, Chris Anderson from the TED conference when he was asked, you know, what's the future plans for TED? And he says, you know, in a world that changes as fast as this one, we don't have a map, we use a compass. So I didn't have yeah. a plan, I had a compass. And so, I, I, like, I like that metaphor. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah, philosophy and film, because, you know, philosophy means what? Love of wisdom, love of ideas, which I definitely have. And film is because, well, I, I think there is no other art form that mirrors the landscapes of consciousness better than cinema. Uh, it's a great I, line. I can see a bit of poetry drifting through through your uh, absolutely, I, your I just conversation. I, I, I love language and I love to make sense of things and tile the world through language and with language. Um, there's a guy called Gene Youngblood who said that cinema reflects mankind's historical drive to manifest his consciousness outside of his mind, in front of his eyes, and 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 I think even without knowing those words, without having those references, mm. just as a child watching films felt to me like a metaphysical act. I, yeah. I, I assumed the viewpoint of the character. I became the character. And many of the the deepest and richest experiences of my life have been things that didn't necessarily happen to me, but that happened to the characters in the films that mm -hmm. I watched. So I was like, okay, got to study this. Great. Um, so double majored in those two things. And when I graduated, uh, it was around 2005 when former U.S. President Al Gore launched current TV. Vice president, right? Yeah, current, yeah. Former <laughs> yeah. vice president, yeah. Al Gore, uh, launched current TV. Yeah. And current was a cable channel that focused on citizen journalism mm -hmm. and user-generated content. And the, the ethos was essentially that emerging technologies were allowing camera-sized devices yeah. in your pocket. Or, or sorry, um, pocket-sized devices with cameras yeah, yeah, and essentially everybody could be a content creator. And this is yeah. pre-YouTube. So he was, he was kind of ahead of his time. Yeah. And I became a presenter for current TV and I was with them for five years and that kind of like got my feet wet. Uh, I lived in Los Angeles. I was a, you know, a TV host for this up and coming hip channel the HBO of the YouTube generation. Eventually mm -hmm. we were called by the New York Times, I believe. Um, and I was with them for six years. Uh, but the network never quite 
like broke through. That's it right. never reached yeah. like true mainstream notoriety. And, you know, we're here in, in, in Doha, as you know, uh, your television channel, Al Jazeera, yeah. purchased yeah. Current and launched Al Jazeera America. So that was around 2011. And that's when I kind of was like, okay, time to do my own thing after six, almost six years um, mm-hmm. at Current. That, that's good for a first job, actually. I mean, it's a, it was amazing. It's a good, uh, unbelievable, good amount of time. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and just meeting people in LA and having yeah. something to talk, to talk about rather than just saying, I'm an actor. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I was like, no, I'm, I'm a storyteller. Like, I'm, I have something to say. And in 2011, I started doing my own thing, right? And so I took a year off and I started making digital content. Yeah. I started focusing on YouTube and Vimeo. Um, and I had a, a, a passion, an existential and philosophical passion for what was happening, uh, in emerging tech. Yeah. Mostly the science fiction nerd in me was like caught up a lot in the ideas of Ray Kurzweil and the singularity and these data driven extrapolations, um, sort of illustrating a future where our wildest dreams potentially could come true. Yeah. You know? Things like, you know, artificial intelligence in our bodies and brains, augmenting our capacity, things like synthetic biology and programmable genetics, nanotech. And I was just like, oh my, wow. Like I was like, human beings are going to radically extend the human lifespan. What does this mean? You know, I I, I just, I thought these ideas were were mind expanding in a very Mm -hmm. real sense, but were often discussed by very dry academic types. And I know for, at least for me, I learn through poetic excitement, existential excitement and agitation. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to give back to, to, to those ideas in the form of my art, like those ideas that impacted me. And I was like, how can I expand upon this impact to share Mm -hmm. with others? And, and you come at it, you tend to come at it from, from what I, we'll get onto what, what, what you've done since, but you, uh, we can sort of jump ahead a little bit. Please, you tend to come at it from a uh, from the perspective of of an optimist. Yes. Whereas you know, if we if we speak about sci-fi, a lot of times that's true. It's kind of a pessimistic, almost dystopian. Yeah. Which I find highly entertaining. I am a yeah. huge sci-fi for fan. sure, for sure. And and I have to say, dystopian sci-fi is is amongst my favorites. Yes. Um, but, but, you know, I, I, I'd love to sort of hear the perspective of, of course, of, of an optimist about why, why yeah. you feel kind of strongly that these technologies are actually yeah. going to, uh, going to turn out well for humanity. For sure. Well, I think human beings are wired for negativity, right? I mean, it's if even from an evolutionary biology perspective, um, neurosis and fear kept us alive. Yeah. You know, those that we are the uh, descendants of the most neurotic humans. Yeah. Those that were chilling True. out, meditating, got eaten pretty fast. <laughs> and so we have yeah. overactive amygdalas. I mean, we've made the world safer than it's ever been in all of human history, yeah. but people are as anxious as they've ever been. Um, I've and, more and, so, and scared right? of uncertainty. Wait, actually, we have more time to be anxious. More now. time to be anxious. <laughs> yes. It's, it's a, it's a luxury in some yeah. sense uh, to, to, to care about, profound existential things and what's going to happen in the future. It's like, you know, cause, cause we're not necessarily struggling to, for our next meal. Yeah. So we can yeah. think ahead and, and really worry. But I, I guess, you know, look, I, I, I was looking for reasons to be optimistic, mm-hmm. uh, because I, 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 I just, 
I'm not a fan of doom and gloom and, and fatalism, I think helps no one. And I need yeah. a reason to get out of bed in the morning. But I also don't want to be caught up in magical thinking. And so I was like, well, where's the data? And I became a huge fan of, of TED, the mm-hmm. TED conference. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I love excellence. I'm a, and I, and I think that a lot of times to find excellence, you have to go beyond the doom and gloom headlines, beyond if it bleeds, it leads, beyond the oversimplification, beyond yeah. even the mainstreamification. Um, I'm tired of things being dumbed down. And I was like, when I saw what Ted was doing, bringing some of the most thoughtful, brilliant minds in the mm-hmm. world, the people that really are incarnations of the human spirit at its best, and yeah. then put them on a sexy stage and make them go viral. And I was listening to people like Ray Kurzweil, and I would listen to people like uh, David Deutsch, you know, and I would listen yeah. to people yeah. like Steven Pinker. Uh, I remember Steven Pinker's TED Talk, The Myth of Violence. Like yeah. you would never, much less growing up in Venezuela or even watching most cable news, think that the world is safer now than it's ever been Mm. in all of human history. But that's what the data shows. The chances of a human dying at the hands of another human are lowest than they've ever been in all of human history. That's right. And I don't know if you've come across his book, Enlightenment Now, the most recent one. The new one. one. I haven't read the new one, but I know The Better Angels of Our Nature. But I I just, I, I think, look, data is data, you know, like, and so... I was like, why aren't more people talking about this? And, yeah. and, and, and you know what that does is, is, is it reinvigorates my faith in our capacity to overcome. And I, and I do like that sort of grand narrative. You know, Ray yeah. Kurzweil talks about this, but like we are the species that overcomes and transcends. Like by, by definition, we are transhumanists. Mm-hmm. We build the tools, as McLuhan said, and the tools build us. And we've yeah. been in a self-reinforcing feedback loop yeah. since the first since the dawn of, of man and the dawn of the first tool the tool making animal that keeps like reinventing itself and yeah. so if we are able to steer these reinventions in ways that continue to sort of lift all ships and up level yeah. humanity there's nothing yeah. we can't achieve and we've yeah. achieved so much so far that's the thing like even extreme poverty the most extreme type of poverty has almost been eliminated you know yeah. and Bill Clinton in his Time Magazine article a couple of years ago, A Case for Optimism, cited a United Nations study that said the cell phone was probably the greatest invention in history to pull people out of poverty. And so, you know, look, I, I'm, I'm cherry picking some, some references here, but my, my point is I think there's enough of a through line that shows that progress is real. Absolutely. And that we have no, to bring more awareness no. to it. And that's why, I mean, that's why I mentioned uh, uh, Pinker's book, Enlightenment Now, because it, it really is very hard to argue with the, with the evidence. Uh, and it ought to be, in, in my view, required reading actually in, mm-hmm. uh, in, in schools. Um, if I can just put a little bit of a, of a, of a positive spin on, on some of the negativity and maybe as a philosophy student, you might appreciate where this is coming from. I think, I think part of, of, of us thinking through worst case scenarios is actually a helpful way to prepare us to avoid them. Uh, and so I, I, I think the, being being a cautious optimist is is probably uh my at least default setting yeah uh and 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 one that i think can serve uh can serve us well um yeah no i, I mean i agree with you it it is our capacity to foresee you know to choose to to sort of imagine different future scenarios and then pick the one we want and pull the present forward to meet that possibility. Yeah. That future modeling is what makes, uh, is our genius, right? Yeah. Um, but what I think can happen to some people is their future modeling can be 
so negatively prefigured and then they get set in these negatively prefigured future modeling ways mm -hmm. that then all they see is negativity. Yeah. And you they know, never you get see the world it. as it is. You yeah. see the world as you are. That becomes their representation. Yeah. And their representations are negatively prefigured and so on and so forth. And in fact, one of my big passions in addition to tech innovation, creativity is wellness and yeah. mental health. And, and the reason I think is not, is not, um, surprising. You know, we're talking about like what's, what's dangerous today. Mm. Uh, this is a United Nations number that astonished me. Do you know more people now commit suicide than die from armed conflict and natural disasters yeah. combined? Yeah. So, you know, war and conflict, yeah. horrible. Genocide, yeah. horrible. Um, natural disasters that kill innocent people, horrible. Things that we have to, yeah. you know, deal with all the time and it's a tragedy. But, but to, 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 to realize that those numbers are less than the amount of people that yeah. are dying from direct suicide yeah. means that like, you know, just in terms of pure numbers, your 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 own mind is is the most dangerous is, thing. Is, yep, yeah. In your life, I, I, I didn't know the global number. I yeah. knew the number for the U.S. in terms okay. of gun violence. That, okay, that uh, I think is it up to sixty percent of gun violence in the U.S. is is suicide, oh, well, self harm, basically. There you go. Also so, terrifying. So this extrapolates, I guess, onto yeah, onto and, the global and people are being stage. people are being medicated, you yeah. know, for depression, for anxiety, and and you know, I think. I think that goes to a to a sort of deeper um, aspect of the human condition mm. is that you know you know what they say it's like you can't you can live for a couple couple weeks without food maybe a couple days without water but yeah. you can't live for a minute without hope yeah you know and that's that's more true than ever yeah and I think that you know Abraham Maslow in his hierarchy of needs talks about how, you know, if you're hungry, the meaning of life is food. Um, if you've eaten, the meaning of life is a shelter over your head. Yeah. But in many parts of the world, you know, the emerging world and developed world, as more and more people We've enter the entry yeah. into the lower middle class or, you know, they, they have a job, maybe they don't like the job very much, but they can feed themselves and they have credit cards and they have television and they have entertainment, you know, like basic things that mm -hmm. even, even wealthy people didn't have yeah. decades ago. Um, but all of a sudden they can afford to mm -hmm. care about meaning. Yeah. They can afford to care about purpose. And if you combine that, the, the, the luxury to care about those things with the decline in conventional doctrines of meaning, whether mm -hmm. it's a religion or a philosophy, you know, that you have numbers across the world where less and less people are finding that to speak directly to them. Then what you have are people who are hungry for some interpretive framework yeah. of meaning. And I think that is uh, why the rise of the psychologist Jordan Peterson is so interesting. He's become a yeah. star for essentially giving existential life advice from the perspective of a psychologist who has poetic interpretations of religion. Yeah. And it's like, you see why he's become a star because yeah. people are hungry for that, you know? Yeah, no, he's, he's, he's incredibly interesting. And, and just, uh, I mean, in, in a similar vein, there's, there's a revival of interest in the, uh, uh, in the philosophy of the ancient Stoics mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. as well. I don't know if you've. Tim if Ferriss you've, always talks about them. Yeah. 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 If you've sort of, uh, dabbled in that at all, but uh, a little bit. Yeah. There's, but again, it, and it, and it's interesting that, you know, one of the Stoic exercises, in fact, that, Maybe a little counterintuitive, but, but it's sort of recommended is, is to actually imagine bad things happening to you so that you are in some ways kind of prepared yeah. to deal and to regulate the, the yeah. emotional, yeah. uh, upheaval that that will cause yeah. and to sort of recognize that essentially that's what it is. Yeah. It's a series of emotions. Yeah. 
that that you experience yeah and that you can actually ultimately manage yeah 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 absolutely so let, let's talk a little bit you know we we've uh we're, we're hitting in some kind of heavy subjects now but uh tell me a little bit about you you travel a lot and yeah. you and you uh and you report from uh from your travels I transcribe. Uh, you transcribe. <laughs> I transmit, or, yeah. But you, you try to transmit this idea of all. So yeah, tell me a little bit definitely. about that as, as a kind of a segue. Yeah. Well, look, I am, um, you know, I, I would describe myself as, a, as an existentially oriented person. So I, I, I can't spend too much time in the realm of the trivial. Um, I was reading this article recently in Aeon Magazine, which by the way is fabulous. You should check them out on Twitter, yeah. Aeon. Um, but uh, they were saying that human beings operate in two realms, the transactional and the transcendent. Mm. So the transactional is, you know, yeah, fetching water, right? Chopping wood, getting things done, exercising, feeding yourself. Um, but that we are equally wired for the transcendent, which is who am I? Where am I going? What is the big picture, holy narrative that that describes my life what is the joseph campbell hero's journey mm -hmm. archetype yeah. interpretive framework that i can deploy to see myself as a significant entity in space and time who is here and who matters and who wants to make yeah. a contribution um and so you know to have the opportunity you know with with we were earlier on in my career in, in the interview we were talking about current tv and how that led to yeah. eventually National Geographic and Not brain true, games yeah. and the success of brain games hosting that and me continuing to do my videos and speaking around the world is like, you know, technically, yeah, I travel the world because I'm booked by large corporations and companies to talk about emerging technologies. But what I'm really talking about, I mean, the sort of underneath that skin, I'm talking about our sort of what it means to be human yeah. in, in the 21st century, which is the theme of the Y Summit. Right? There you go. Yeah. Unlearn, relearn. Yeah. Right. So first unlearn, get rid of those old mental frameworks, yeah. pierce your representations and then relearn, you know, create new maps to describe yeah. new conditions and new realities. And, and I think I would say that awe is the, the contextual fuel, if that is a phrase mm -hmm. in the sense that like without awe, there is no engagement. There is no passion. Yeah. There is no curiosity. Like, 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 I, 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 I sort of, it awe is the prerequisite for me to, to be actively engaged with these ideas yeah. and to then respond to those ideas. Yeah. And also, when I'm in awe, um, I, I have a, 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 something similar to the astronaut overview effect. Mm -hmm. Um, where I have this, this temporary sort of divination where I at least perceptually feel like I'm seeing the bigger picture. Okay. And that, that is very fulfilling to me. Yeah. You know, Tim Duty says these experiences recontextualize the self as a marvelous conduit in a timeless hole from which molecules and meanings flow from neurons to nebula and back again. So in those moments, I guess, yeah, like I just, so something out of Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, almost. absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I have I have a desire to respond in, in 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 a poetic style to experiences that are very fulfilling and very moving. And so, I, in the end, I'm a yeah. I, I I think of myself as an artist and a poet. And so, I go and yeah. experience the world. I go and have a set of experiences, and then I share what is ultimately interior experiences. And I try to exteriorize those experiences. Yeah. 
the way we do with song or poetry. You asked me for, uh, yeah, for, for, uh, some of the most powerful experiences of, of all that you've, that you've shared on your podcasts or, uh, on, on, uh, yeah, on your videos. Um, so I'm a big fan of Michael Pollan. Michael Pollan wrote a new book about mental health mm. called How to Change Your Mind. Yep. And he starts the book by kind of distracting the modern human condition or the modern human malaise. And he basically says that the human brain is like an artificial intelligence program in that we take data from the present, we compare it with data from the past, and then we use that to predict the future. So the brain is essentially, again, a prediction mm -hmm. machine. Yep. And it always has been because that's what helps us foresee future danger and then mitigate against it. Right. Yeah. Um, but then he ends that phrase with a funny line. He says, the good news is I'm seldom surprised in that nothing ever is going to sideline me. Yeah. But then the bad news is I'm seldom surprised. Right. Cause we're future focused with a low level hum of anxiety as our default setting. Yeah. Not really stopping and smelling the roses. But then he says that one of the things that commends travel, novelty, art, mm. you know, is that these experiences basically in that they, they show up with such ferocity, right? Yeah. Like you encounter a piece of art, a spectacular architecture structure uh, these divinations they block all signals forwards and backwards in the brain yeah. and when that happens the part of you that is comparing what's happening with the past and predicting the future gets knocked offline and when those things are knocked offline you're hurled into the flow of the present moment yeah and this is when it gets beautiful he says that that present is literally wonder dash full wonderful mm -hmm. full of wonder because wonder is the byproduct of that unencumbered sense of first sight mm -hmm. to which the adult brain has closed itself so again that adult brain that has built up these mental models throughout its life and is now relying on those mental models it has closed itself to new experiences it has yeah. confused the map with the territory but that these experiences of art and wonder and travel they pierce through that and then yeah. you experience that virginal noticing of the sensate world. So for me, when I travel, whether it's to Tulum, Mexico or a South African safari or go to the, the pyramids of Giza, mm -hmm. like I am searching for experiences that, that violate my expectations, yeah. my mental models of the world yeah. so that I can find myself outside the reservation and when doing so, I become more alive, right? I am, I am energized and revitalized by the experience. And then the after effect of that experience of awe is my videos because my videos are essentially their responses to those experiences in mm -hmm. the, in the, and they are invitations to others to share in yeah. that, that those encounters. Yeah. So I, I would say that for me, yeah, I mean, it's like whenever I get to go somewhere new, I become more alive. Yeah. Yeah. So that's wonderful. How did you, did you read? A lot. Yeah. Cause that, to a certain extent, that's what I find. I, I like, liken getting into a, you know, into a good book. Yeah. As a form of travel. Oh, absolutely. Um, was it Carl Sagan who said books are proof that human beings are capable of working magic? Yeah. You open up a yeah. book and you start reading it and you're instantly in the mind of another person, potentially mm -hmm. separated by yeah. centuries. I mean, that yeah. is 
a metaphysical act. I mean, there, there are so many things we take for granted that when looked at appropriately um, are, yeah. are almost incomprehensible. You know, like to, to read something that was written a couple hundred years ago is to Absolutely. be transported into the consciousness of someone who is no more. Yeah. I love to read and, and, but the way that I read, uh, there's a fabulous book by Stephen Johnson called Where Good Ideas Come From, A Natural History of Innovation. And he talks about the commonplace book, how during the enlightenment, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the men of reading would carry around like a little journal or what they call mm-hmm. a commonplace book. And they read in bursts and spurts. And when they read, they wrote down what they thought about what they read. Yeah. And then they went back and read some more and then opened up another book and found through lines between the various things that they were reading. Yeah. And so reading and writing became in sort of a part of the same ongoing process of yeah. trying to make sense of things. Yeah. And that's kind of how I read nowadays rather than through like the direct. Yeah. 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 yeah I've, been, I've been trying to keep uh, something of a journal as well mm-hmm. of, of whenever I see a good idea that I want to capture, I try and capture it. I haven't, I haven't quite yet sort of mastered this at the level of, yeah. of maybe an enlightenment uh, philosophy, but I'm working on it. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. I am, I recommend just even the notes application on the iPhone. Yeah. Um, because it has keyword searches as well. So you just, you know, write a quote down. Yeah, a cool and then, paragraph, and then connect, paste a paragraph, yeah. you know, put headline, and then you eventually you have dozens of things, but it becomes like a mind map. So yeah. I might have a conversation with a friend that triggers an idea, and then I go and search for the keyword and find the quote, and so on and so forth. Yeah. And so, and by the way, that is indicative of of the uh, the extended mind thesis. So just connected to that thought by yeah. by keeping more and more of my notes in these digital platforms, my commonplace book being my notes application or my Evernote yeah. on my iPhone. Um, the cognitive philosophers, David Chalmers and Andy Clark, they coined the extended mind thesis mm-hmm. phrase and they wrote this whole essay about how um, so much more of, of the mind uh, is, is beyond the skin bag and the, the cognitive apparatus as it exists today, the, the human mind is, is what emerges in the feedback loop between brains, tools, and environments. So I would argue that my notes, my commonplace book, yeah. the place where I write things down and reflect upon what I've written are extensions of my mental apparatus. And these guys are philosophers of mind yeah. that are arguing yeah. this, yeah. which is a huge cognitive leap to make to yeah. think that I don't end at the edge of my skin tissue. Yeah. That my mind exceeds my biological materials and that these bio, these non-biological props and scaffoldings are extensions of our mind and our cognition. It's a different yeah. way to look at technology. Too. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I guess again, this is, this is the positive yeah. uh, dimension of, yes. of, 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 of the new technologies that they are enhancing. That's right. They are augmenting us. That's right. You know, again, I've, you know, spoken and written a little bit about, you know, again, this is maybe a little bit the skeptic in me. And, yeah. And, and the sort of the, the, the fan of dystopian sci-fi sure. uh, comes through. I've written a little bit about some of the downsides of, it's important. You know, of, of new tech. So how, how have you, you know, managed to maintain that optimism and that, and, and, you know, you're obviously getting a lot out of, out of these new technologies, but what advice do you have for folks? You know, how do you manage the, the downsides? How do you avoid digital addiction, for example, and so there's a distraction. There's, yeah, there, there's two responses. The initial responses is, yeah, what if pe- people use these technologies in negative ways? The double-edged sword is my answer. Yeah. Technology has always been a double-edged sword, yeah. right? So fire, we domesticated fire and we learned to cook. 
Yeah. This book called Cooking Made Us Human. And mm-hmm. cooking is an external stomach, a prosthetic yeah. technological stomach that pre-digests our food, that makes it possible for us to eat food that's cooked and therefore more absorbable so that we can stay full for longer. Mm-hmm. And the rest of human culture, the rest is history. Yeah, if we yeah. didn't cook, nothing else would happen because we yeah. spent, before yeah. cooking, most of our time chewing. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, yeah. But the domestication of fire also meant you could burn the village next door, right? That's right. The yeah. alphabet, perhaps a technological singularity. In, it allows us to encode all of human language and pass down all knowledge, right? But the alphabet can be weaponized, hate speech, propaganda, so on and so forth. Yeah. So, you know, my view is these technologies are nonspecific amplifiers and it's up to, to yeah. sort of us to steer them and use them in certain ways. Now, I would add to that that there are some designs that are not neutral. Yeah. You know, that design itself has agency, and that you can design incentives into your designs so that they encourage a certain kind of behavior. Yeah. Yeah. For example, with the, the gun debate in America, you know, the pro gun people say guns don't kill people, people kill people. And ordinarily I would have agreed with, yeah. with my argument of the double edged sword. The mm-hmm. gun can be for good or for bad, but there's the deeper design thinking there. Mm. There's an article called the philosophy of the technology of the gun, which actually says that the design of a gun is not neutral, that the gun is designed to be fired. And when you enter it into a relationship, no right. When you enter into a relationship <laughs> yeah. with a gun, yeah. you are transformed by mm. that relationship. Yeah. And therefore your actions are mediated by the fact that you have a gun in your hands, which means that it's not neutral at yeah. all. Yeah. And so you could think of that then with our concerns about social media. It's like, well, are these things designed for a curiosity and human flourishing or are they designed to hijack your dopamine system like a slot machine in a casino to keep you engaged all the time? You know, also uh, a valid question to ask. And I think, therefore, these conversations are important because I think we need to hold companies accountable for having an ROI that measures not just engagement, but human well-being. And that if we did that by raising the consciousness of those that are making these technologies, then we could, I think, design for human flourishing because everything is designable. Yeah. And and I think, I mean, just to sort of piggyback on that, it's also though about, you know, raising awareness amongst users about some of these things. I mean, so one transformative experience that I had was I listened to a podcast and I think it was uh, a guy called Tristan Harris. I, don't I know, know Tristan. He's become right. a, the, the biggest critic of, of yeah. Silicon Valley. Yeah. And, and he was, he made exactly the point that you're yeah. making yeah. that some of these technologies were designed to be addictive. Yeah. And the, the, one of the most effective ways is the little notifications badge, apparently, which I have incidentally all of them are off. There you go. And that's but what that I must did. be my own intuition. Cause before I heard about I, that, I, I yeah. turned off all notification yeah, yeah. on all my apps. Yeah. Instagram notifications are off. Every everything that can beep, Facebook yeah. notifications are off, off. But I still I still log on yeah, and check that, them yeah. many times a day. Yeah. But when I want to. Exactly. You know, it's like it's like, yeah. okay, there's a moment I want to open my Instagram, but I'm not having my phone vibrate every time there's a notification on yeah. Instagram. Definitely. Yeah. So is that yeah. what he said? That's interesting. Yeah, that's what he and that's what caused me to then you know, disable the, I was not as intuitive as, uh-huh. as you. And I, I disabled the notifications and immediately my use of social media went, went down, which totally. is what I was hoping yeah. would happen. Yeah. Well, um, you know what that tells me? It tells me that I think 
because the fact that I intuitively did it probably says something about the the, the neurosis of my personality. Because I, I love the phrase information diet, you know, mm. like that we need to be disciplined disciplined in our information diets. Yeah. In the same way that we have created information abundance, we already created, you know, food abundance in many parts of the world. Now people, more people die from eating too much than from eating too little. Yep. Um, and so what are you going to do? Like you're going to, you're going to ban food or like ban social media apps? No, but you're going to, people have to be more responsible yeah. for their diet, for yeah. what they eat. That requires discipline, right? Personal discipline. Mm. And so now it's the same thing. We're either drowning in information or we're surfing those waves. No. That depends on our discipline, our wherewithal, our, our capacity to be discriminating in, in judicious in who we follow. Even on, on Twitter. Twitter's a great example. I like to follow people who I think are really interesting and really smart mm. because then I'm leveraging their pattern recognition capacity yeah. for free so that the, the, the hundred or thousand people that I follow on Twitter are all having a, an, ex, an experience of pattern recognition and deciding what they think is relevant to tweet. And then my feed is the summation of all of those brains and what all of those brains think is worth sharing. And so I have a highly curated experience of the world for free. And I'm cognizant of not mm. getting stopped, not getting stuck in a, in a reality tunnel or yeah. in a bubble, right? Because I know that that can also reinforce um, dogmatic thinking. But to follow different people that challenge me in different ways, but who nonetheless I respect, and that constitutes my information diet. Yeah. And I think everybody should be that responsible. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, Beautiful. Let's, I'm glad uh, we agree. <laughs> yeah, there's not, not a lot of disagreement going on here. Uh T tell me a little bit about what you're what you're hoping to talk a little bit about uh, at Wise since we're at the yeah. beginnings of the Wise Summit. Yeah, well, I, look, I'm thrilled to be here in Doha. I want to thank you guys for for having me. Um, look, when I came across this year's theme of the Wise Summit, I mean, first of all, you're called Wise. Yeah, philosophy means love of wisdom, <laughs> so that already resonated yeah. with me. Um, but the theme this year, unlearn, relearn, what does it mean to be human? You know, that, that, that's the sort of big umbrella term. Like we are living in an age of rapid change, disruptive innovation, acceleration is the new normal. Everything is up for grabs, not just the future of education, but the future of society, the future of technology, the future of how we do everything. And so this idea of, you know, unlearn, relearn means that first thing we have to do is dissolve our frameworks of thinking, dissolve those mental habits, um, and dissolve those aspects of us that are set in our ways, right? Michael Pollan calls the been there's and seen that's of the adult mind. And so that, that, that is exactly the things that I talk about. So I was like, oh my God, like this is such a great theme for me to come and do my thing, you know? So dissolve those, those mental patterns and those mental habits and those ideas about what is possible unlearn all of that in order to then relearn, reconstitute, create new yeah. maps for these new realities. And I'd love, I'm going to talk a little bit about, of course, you know, why this unlearn, why what it means to be human is changing on the back of not just exponentially emerging digital technologies, but also biotech and nanotech and all these things. And then realizing that we need to steward these technologies because of the the exponential capacity to impact could go both ways. And, and, and I look forward also to talking about like another thing that is an example of relearning is in an age of exponential tech, everybody wants to be the next Mark Zuckerberg, start a company, a startup, get rich, become a billionaire. Mm -hmm. And Singularity University has talked about this as well as redefining the term billionaire. 
And so today, in the age of exponentials, in the age of relearning, what does it mean to be a billionaire? Well, it's not just having a billion dollars. It's positively touching a billion people. Mm -hmm. Like that is like relearn. Like let's all become billionaires. Let's all positively touch a billion people. Let's all learn exponential thinking instead of linear thinking. Unlearn linear thinking. Relearn exponential thinking. So this is the kind of stuff that I I look forward to spreading. uh, Well, that's very exciting. And and, uh, Jason, your uh, enthusiasm is is infectious. So we're – very much looking forward to uh, to hearing uh, thank you. more from you. Thank you, thank at, you, thank at you. Wise bro. and elsewhere. Thank you. Um, what's the best way for people to? I mean, you have a significant following, but in the event that someone is listening Please. to this without. Yes. Uh, knowing, uh, you know, who, who you are and what you do, what's the best way for them? Yeah, to, look, um, to find you and follow. I'm you? on all the social platforms um, at Jason. L, like middle initial L, Silva, S-I-L-V-A, at Jason L. Silva on Instagram and at Jason L. Silva on Facebook. Both are verified accounts, so I'm easy to find. On Twitter, it's just at Jason Silva. Um, and then they can search Shots of Awe on YouTube as well. Um, right now, I'm seeing a lot of engagement on Instagram. I'm noticing it seems to be the platform of yeah. the day. So I encourage people to follow me on Instagram at Jason L. Silva. And uh, thanks again for having me. Look, uh, anytime I have the opportunity to talk about the things I love, it's a gift. So thank you. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for your wise words. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.